Well, no, I said those will be the capital of the world podcast. Oh, okay. Oh, I get it now. Oh, I like it. Those were, there'll, there'll be a subset of our Los Angeles cinematic community podcasts. I am your leader. You're something. <laughs> that's, that's actually a line you, you dropped on a podcast. It'll be in next week's show. I was brilliant when I said it and funny. Cinematic community. Information overload. I might have to just run out of the room and leave a big Kool-Aid manhole on the wall. Cinematic. Cinematic community. Just tell people not to swear the mic around. <laughs> that's, a good, that's, that's a good point. You know, I have no problem with you telling people that. It seems like an important safety tip. Are you excited to go to New York? I am. We're going to do a whole host of shows in New York, which I'm, I'm very excited about. That's going to be so much fun, man. I'm, the I'm, hometown set. You get to show me around New York. It'll be my first experience. I've been to a lot of places, but not New York City. That's just pathetic. Hey, man, come on. <clears throat> I've, I've, I've been places. I'm relevant. You're not from Guam. You're from Virginia. You could have gotten on a train at any point. I don't understand that. You guys didn't take like, a field trip to the Empire State Building or What's something? What's even worse is that we, we went to Connecticut. Like, we never went oh, to New good York. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Did you take the Amtrak? No, my, my, my pops always drove. Oh, I was going to say, because if you took the Amtrak, you went through the city and mm. right by my house. Mm. Yeah, we just stopped and said, hey, hey, Brian. Never been to New York. This is like, well, you're like one of these people that says, I've never been swimming or I've never ridden a bike. I don't understand those people. No, I've I've swam and ridden a bike and lots of other things. It's just New York. None of those it. things matter since you've never been to the big city. Well, looking forward to it. Um, uh, I guess that'll be uh, starting next week. We'll get out of here. And, the uh, Capital the of the World podcasts. So this week, Michael Uva, another brilliant interview without me in it. <laughs> this was one of the earlier ones, that's for sure. This is two of four of Brianless interviews. <laughs> yeah. Man, uh, Michael Uva, he was a lot of fun to be around uh, when I was working with him. He pushes Dolly. Michael Uva wrote the book, the grip book, uh, for any of you out there who um, uh, maybe read the Set Lighting Technician's Handbook by Harry Box or read the Camera Assistant's Handbook by Doug Hart. Um, maybe you ha might have happened to have also picked up the, uh, the grip book written uh, by Michael Uva. Um, just, just a good, fun guy with a good personality. I think, Brian, when you actually get around to hearing this podcast... I, I was going to say, I wouldn't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> but when you do, uh, I think you'll appreciate it. Just, uh, just another good dude and uh, had a lot of really good stories and a, a really good attitude. So... ironic because you really it just um comes up it's you know that basic train they teach you to jump you say how high on the way up you heard all the classic sayings and all that stuff you know so that that was kind of what helped me in the film industry i came in i well i was happy as a clam just best boy you know i was like a perfect right hand man i thought the simple directive of do what it, you know like do the job immediately at hand, plan for the future, follow, do exactly what your boss says, do exactly what your boss says. It sounds do like your father's got <laughs> some good influence on you. <laughs> um, Too funny. All right, so um, Michael Uva, um, 
Good to see you here. Uh, I think the name of this podcast is going to be something. Uh, it's I think the best choice so far is Cinematic Immunity. I like that. Yeah. It's somewhere in between uh, Freelancer's Guide to Cinema and Hollywood Cinephile because it's not really either one of those two, and I've kind of tossed around those names. I, I have a script that I've changed the name 10 times on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, you just keep going and chipping away, and this sounds good, and this sounds a little better, and this sounds a little bit until it fits. You'll find it. I was looking at the original uh, Uva's Grip book because my fourth edition hasn't arrived yet. Um, I wanted to bring it with me, but the, uh, I was looking at the first edition, uh, at Amazon. And even in the first edition, you say right then and there, like, Hey, I, I have many jobs. Uh, yes, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm really good at my jobs. Or so you use the word jobs in an improper right. ta- context. Right. You said, yes, I have many jobs. I love to write and I love to do these things. So, and that was, uh, 2002. The original grip book came out in, uh, 1988. Whoa. Well, maybe I was looking at the wrong copyright. That's okay. Uh, well, that was 2002 was probably with Focal Press. Yeah, okay. Now that okay. would make sense. That's when I probably hooked up with them, right around there. Um, the uh, original book, I went around and tried to sell it to everybody. No, no kid, get out of here. We don't want it. Never going to make it. Oh, you know, the standard deal. No, no, no. But when you believe in something, you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And in not, not in a rude way. You just believe you're going to do it. You just somehow in your gut feeling, I don't know what it is, that magical, mystical thing. But I knew that book would help people. I knew it would help because it helped guys like me. I didn't know anything, and I wanted to learn. Right. You As know. you said, you didn't have a, any, you didn't go to any film school. Uh, I did not know. It was one of those who you know type. My sister was dating a guy who was working as a grip in the film industry, and I'd just gotten out of the Marines after eight years. And I got into this business. I went with him on a few shoots, and I went, there's no friggin' way I'm going into that business. <laughs> Those people are crazy. What, were they, what, was, what was it about them, that, that them then that made it crazy? There was no organization. There was, I didn't see the organization at the time. I'd come from very strict military rules, point A, point B, point C, you know, objective and all that stuff. All those rules are there. I just didn't see them because I saw these men like little chickens. <laughs> all these women. <laughs> it just didn't make sense. And then I saw all the, um, uh, let's say, butt kissing. Uh, <laughs> you know. And I remember saying, God, those guys are all crazy. And then after five years of being in the industry, I went, oh, my God, I'm one of those guys. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, um, yeah, obviously you found something about it that you really loved because you continue to write about it. Oh, I, I love the technical side of it. Um, yeah, you know, all, all those preconceived notions all went away. I had, I'd come in with a redneck type mentality and I don't say anything nasty against rednecks. I'm just saying I came in with a preconceived set of ideas. And once I got in and I saw the talent, the true talent that's in this business, uh, it just blew me away. Yeah. And the, the irony, and I always tell people, it's like, not only do I see the talent that they have now doing what they do, but they had prior talents. Right. You right. know, some Every- people were concert pianists or whatever when they, now they're working in craft service. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Doesn't marry up, but they have a love for this industry. But like you said, it's you know uh, friends of somebody's. Just like you had a, had a, you know, you knew somebody who was. Uh, it was your sister. I'm sorry. Yeah, my sister was dating this guy who later be, uh, became a best boy, who became a key grip, and then I went in on his shirt tail. Yeah, as a non-union stuff, and I 
dabbled at it. Right. This was in 60, I mean, 76, I got it out of the Marines. And I said, no way. And I tried. So then I, I, I stuck with aviation, which was my first nice. uh, love. And then uh, 1979, uh, my wife decided she did, <laughs> I guess one of those deals, we'd run our course. Yeah. And so she she wanted to uh, leave, and I said, okay, fine. I moved back to L.A. I was over in Arizona working as an aircraft mechanic. I came back here, and this guy had ended up marrying my sister, and he was doing these low-budget shows. And I'm over the house having coffee, and um, he turns down this job. He goes, ah, it was like 750 a week as a key grip and yeah. 500 for the best boy. $500 a week. Oh my God. I can't, I'll take it. What are you crazy? You're turning that money down. He goes, trust me, you'll end up turning it down. Mm. You know? So, uh, then I, I started working with him and you, he, he taught me the basics and stuff and I loved it. I, I just, I fell in love with the, the mechanical side of it, the gripping. Right. You had already had a life before this. Like it seems me, it wasn't that, that way. Uh, like I felt like I never had anything before the film business. It's like all I knew, all I know ever, all I never knew. That's why when I come across books like this and things like this that have been around a long time, it, it it's definitely a moment for me to like stop and think and just be like, or at least just take it and say, you know, here's something that's worth holding on to. Uh, I, you know, I, I always, uh, the Harry Box book, uh, the Doug Hart book, there's a lot of really good technical manuals. That oh, have, I love them. Those guys are fantastic. And they have great personal advice too. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. You know? And uh, I think that's really good for people who actually give a crap about other people. Yeah, it's one of those been there, done that. I'm not showing off how smart I am. It's like, hey, guys, I got this big pie. You want some? Right. And right, that's right. kind of how I felt about it. A podcast a little bit like this, like, hey, I, I know all these really cool people that have really lots of like lots of interesting things to say. Let me go talk to them and then put it online. Yeah, and you can just take it. Yeah, good. Yeah, great idea. Good analogy. Are you from the Northeast? No, everyone thinks that. Born and raised idea. here. Idea. <laughs> That's exactly why. Well, my whole family's from Newark, New Jersey. Uh, they came uh, out here. I was popped out in California. Right on. But um, I had all the I quota and uh, all that stuff. Um, but I had that East Coast. Uh, Influence. Very cool. And we had a lot of uh, Italian family, Jewish mother, Italian father, big family, lots of uh, New York accent growing up. Yeah, so that definitely. Never went away. I still call a refrigerator an ice box. <laughs> well, my mom called it, oh, no, not, not so much anymore. She used to definitely for a long time call sodas pops, but that came from her mom. Yeah, said, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was pop or Coke. And I remember we used to, my father used to work for the defense industry over there in El Segundo. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'd have the free fares for the families. And I'd go up and they go, what do you want to drink, kid? And i go, give me a Coke. We don't have a Coke. Yeah, you do. You got a bunch of those. Yeah, yeah. I'll take one of those orange ones. Yeah. Hey, a yeah, Coke. Yeah, that's Coke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never realized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously that was all that was around for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so eighties, uh, you, you got the first IMDb credit that I saw listed was, uh, like 81. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't have that one listed here right in front of me. That was probably, um, called the boys. Mm-hmm. And it's the irony is one of those twilight zone things. Mm-hmm. That was my very first feature and the kid who best boyed for me, Jose, that was his very first feature two years later. Uh-huh. And because the movie had started, the guy had run out of money. Right. And two years later when he started, I had Best Boyd on it. And then I came back and finished keying it. 
Never. And then I brought him on as my best boy. <laughs> so one of those weird deals. No, no, no. It, it, I mean, when you're coming up in the business, I mean, uh, is this out here? This is out here in LA? This was it? out here in LA. It was a DP, a cameraman operator. Mm-hmm. I knew uh, doing low budget stuff and yeah. basically hawked his house and really, you know, did his own thing. And he, it took, it was a gutsy move. And the movie was so, so typical sure. low budge, but um, he really, he took it. Takes guts. It really does. You don't realize it. You know, as you're, you're tra- transitioning. doing some of this stuff now, uh, I'm not putting any houses up, but I, you know, I've got some small investments into some films that I believe in, or one film in particular that I believe in, but much more in terms of like time resource that I have lots of sweat equity invested yeah, in. Yeah. It's great. And it, uh, sometimes it comes out uh, through 99% of the time it may not, but boy, the education, how do you? You know, how do you put a value on the education you got it? I did so many of the low budget films, so many, so many low budget commercials, and um, I learned from every one of them. Yeah. Sure, I'd like to make a lot of make a lot of money on, but it was the training. It Absolutely. was wonderful. Uh, I mean, it's tough uh, for me to gauge when the training felt like it stopped because I've switched over a few times, right? Um, but I felt like I've not felt i've never gone at any one thing longer than five years okay you know so i guess maybe that's where i feel like well maybe i've gotten my share of this it's time for me to move on and that works for me but that won't work for most people well it's funny because i used to set everything up in five-year increments Mm. as well so okay if i'm not there in five years it's not right and it took me i i was a grip for three years before i actually told anybody that's what i did for a living Right. Have you ever run into that where like, okay, so if I'm not, okay, so I'm shooting now, but I don't call myself a DP mm-hmm. unless that is the primary function where all of my money is coming from right. or, you know, where right. enough of to make a living. And that's where I think a lot of people go wrong when they think that, that, that when they misunderstand how other people is go- are going to see them if they call themselves a DP, but yet still work as a camera assistant or still do something else or work at a rental house, but call themselves a DP on their business card or when they introduce. Right. And <clears throat> It's a tough thing because, you know, now I have to, in my situation, I have to make money as a DP. I, I, you know, like, I don't know if I'm going to be back for Bones this year. Like, I was supposed to be shooting a feature film that went away the day of prep, like the day before we shot. Like, you know, and that's fine for me. I'm okay with that. But, you know, in order for me to get on the horse and really like, and that was supposed to be my first paying feature DP, sure. you know, like, cool. Okay. I can claim some kind of foothold somewhere and say that I'm this right now that that's gone away. I've got to, you know, double up, redouble my efforts and get back out there to try and claim some of that. Because for a young guy, uh, trying to young person trying to do any job, whether it's a grip or camera assistant or electrician, where there's so much competition, you you've got to, you know, you a you've got to you have to work for free to get started, and you have to really just work at it continuously before you call yourself that, so that you are not misrepresenting yourself to other people. Absolutely, you're absolutely, and it's ironic because there's a switch that kind of goes off inside you when you know that you know that you're ready, um, and you, you just kind of say, "I'm not the best, but I can call myself this or that." Right. Um, I had three years when I finally said. I'm a pretty good grip. I'm not not a best boy, not a key grip. Sure, but I knew my stuff pretty you much. You continued as a to grip. work for some good bests and keys that I'm sure oh, taught you a hell of a lot. Absolutely, the classic: keep your mouth shut, your ears open. You'll learn a lot. 
uh, it's funny you say young people and it's, it's wonderful. It's a young person's business. And I've had, uh, they ask about women all the time or girls. I've had best girls, best boy girls. Um, and they've been probably pretty darn they good, were, I'm sure. If anything, there was the classic, and I'm sure any women listening to this, they feel like they got to work harder. They don't have to work harder. They're smart enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just work smarter. Work smarter, not harder. Yeah. And, uh, they, they sometimes, like a lot of people, they overcompensate. Mm. Uh, they're so good at what they do, they don't have to do it. And I, fortunately, I've been able to work with a lot of good women key grip. There's not enough in the industry, but there's a lot of um, very talented uh, people out there. And it, it's not about your physical strength because if it's that heavy, get two people. Ah, if it's that heavy, get two people. That's one I just, like, it seems like basic. Like, I can I can rip off 10 different grip sayings right now. But sure. uh, if it's that heavy, get two people, never enter my vernacular. <laughs> yeah, there you got it. Some, the old guy's still throwing them out there. <laughs> it's yeah. a jump change. You got it. Uh, uh, but um, you're right. There aren't enough. Uh, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough job. It really is. But if it was easy, like. They are the classic saying you could hire your neighbor, yeah. you know, and it nothing that's really um, easy in life. We've all had easy days here or there, but sure. the stuff that you worked hard for that um, remember when you were on the outside of the fence looking in, you felt, oh, my God, I'm never going to be in there. But you kind of knew I can do that. Just show me how to do it. Give me a chance and I'll do it. So you, there's something that you, you know, it's, I'm not into the. Uh, heebie-jeebie metaphysical stuff of life. A lot of people are my wife to be a good example. Make sure you, yeah, you're yeah. good. <laughs> uh, and I love her, God bless and her. I love her, God bless her. <laughs> the best of the best. But uh, she always talks about, you know, putting it out there. And in essence, she really is right. Anything that I put my mind to from being an aircraft mechanic, from you running out of time? No, you're good. No, no, you're, no, totally. No, you're no, totally fine. Okay. Sorry. That's right. I just wanted to check levels. I I, I stopped wearing headphones when okay. I do these, so uh, I just so I, you can hear everything. So I can make sure that, I, that I'm not distracting with a big set of cans on my head. Sure, sure. You know, just sure. let the machine do its work, and let's just talk. Excellent machine. I love it. I'm, Technology. I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, the Zoom H4n uh, is mobile. Uh, this episode is sponsored by the Zoom Recorder H4n. <laughs> I love it. Um, so you Put product here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's funny what you say. When I teach class, I, I used to teach for UCLA the extension course. Loved it absolutely. If I could teach class for the rest of my life, I would never go to another film set because I like the fact that there's open minds and these kids are far smarter than I am. Nobody really wants to be a grip, but they're there to learn. So they want to be directors and cameramen and producers, but they want to learn everything about every sure. field. So they take the one week extension course, see what the old dog has to teach. And I love it because when they first come in, like I told you, they just stand there and I'm standing in front. They're looking at me and I'm looking at them. They just kind of like getting that uncomfortable feeling. And I'm kind of just smiling. And then I tell them, not what you expected, was it? Yeah. <laughs> you expecting this six foot two muscle bound guy, not this little dumpy guy, you know. But that, that's the thing about this business; it takes all types, it absolutely takes all kinds. Yeah. and one size fits all. Well, one business fits all. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I don't know. I'm 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 okay with it though. Uh, it's it's I think expanding to be able to work with uh, it's like self uh, self expanding to be able to work with uh, lots of different people, uh, deal with different personality types, and that's always been one of the upsides. When you ask for sponsors, have you what sponsors have you asked for? 
I mean, and honestly, have, have I haven't addressed it at all. Okay. Like, I just don't know where to start. It's just a writer's block for the, for, for the producer. <laughs> well, nobody likes to be turned down. Sure. But it's the classic, and it's really true. They said if um, in the classic sales, if you knock on 100 doors, you'll get one right. sale. And that really has proved true. The um, when Nobody wanted the grip book. Nobody wanted I was told it's just not going to happen. So I saw I'll publish it myself. They said, kid, you're wasting your money. But I believed in it put the dough up, yada, yada. And then I started basically selling it out of my trunk, door to door, so to speak. And set then to I, set. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. And you felt funny. I, I have a hard time, and I won't I ended up giving more away to family and friends sure. than uh, I probably sold. But I got it out there, and I saturated the market. And How many did you get out there? Uh, 8,000. That's uh, enough initial, for a small market. Yeah, initial, but it took a long time to get it out there. Sure. And then finally it started to die off and it really wasn't th- that uh, lucrative, you know, because of the cost. I wasn't doing in big numbers. And then um, a company calls me out of Boston, Focal Press. Mm. And they said, you know, we're Focal Press, yada, yada, we're interested in looking at your book. I said, I quit printing a couple of years ago. I'm not really interested. They go, well, uh, we've sent out another grip book out there, but everybody keeps reprinting referring back to the grip book. They call it the grip Bible. Apparently you have this way of writing very simple and, you know, show and tell hammer nail hammer goes on top of nail, bang it in the wood, you know, but you're not <laughs> insulting. And I said, well, good because I, the, when I put the book together, I want it to be taught and I want it to help people the way that I'd like to be taught without being insulted, but yeah. get the basics in there. Anybody can show you the hammer. Anyone can show you the nail and then, but you got to practice with it. You know, and after a couple swipes, you're going to be okay. Yeah. The the version that I first saw, I, and here's where I was when I first saw Uva's grip book. I was in Arizona on Into the Wild, mm-hmm. uh, which was the last show that I'd ever did. did. But uh, I, I uh, my my best boy pulled this out. He's like, yeah, this is Uva's grip book. How have you never heard of this? But I was also doing, I knew of the Harry Box book. Right. Um, but I was also, and I was also doing a lot more electrics than, than gripping, sure, sure. Uh, even though I was solidly gripping, uh-huh. uh, but my best boy pulls this out and he just, and, and when I broke down and saw like the different tensile strengths, dropping loads, shock weight, uh, loads, things like that, or, sh- uh, shock loads. There's, yeah. Shock. Uh, there's torsion. There's, uh, what it got compression, all the different loads. There's five major loads. When I saw those, uh, and in the the simple perusing of I, I think it was the second edition. I Probably remember it being blue. Yeah, it it pumped up pretty quick. Yeah, it went from a little hundred page book to I think I'm like 495 right now. All the good stuff know. was there though, and I saw it, and it was immediately this is this is where it's at. And I never had to to read the whole thing front to back. It was just one of those things I could just open up and that's and, what I wanted and, to do. Yeah. And it was perfect. And so mission accomplished. I, well, thanks. I stole the idea from being an aircraft mechanic. As an aircraft mechanic, they show you a jet engine, you open the cover, big jet engine. Over here, what they call a carburetor is called a fuel control unit. Okay, fuel control unit has got a spline or a drive shaft, and it goes into this hole. So so they call it an illustrated parts breakdown. So it's where everything fits, sort of like an Ikea manual with with uh stuff you could understand. Yeah, not in Swedish. Yeah, not in Swedish. And I tried to make it as simple as I could. Um. But straight to the point, nobody cared that it was made out of the finest metals. Nobody cared that it had the best colors. Okay. What's it do? How much does it weigh? And how do I work the damn How much thing? weight can I hang on this 20-foot <laughs> steel pipe, Schedule 20, before it breaks? Yeah. 
And that, that was the whole just of it. And of course, then you got to put in all your disclaimers, batteries not included, kids don't try this at home, work right. with a qualified. I am not anybody. responsible for anything that Only you be, may do. Yeah, because you tell somebody twist left, they twist right. It's they so, didn't really understand it. And as you know, it's a lawsuit world because it's crazy. Gray area. But once I went with the uh, an international publisher, of course, they had all that stuff in place. Ironically, I got sued. Do they do... Um, After okay. I went with a publisher. Do, uh, do they do their, uh, what do they call it, errors and omissions type check? Oh, yeah. 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 They do diligence and all that stuff. And so how did the lawsuit go down? The lawsuit was uh, washed away. The uh, I won't mention the company's name, but uh, I when I was younger, I was a little bit of a flash temper individual. I guess it's that former Marine crap. A little or a middle bit? <laughs> a lot? What, what? Yeah. All right. I, I went to that dark place. You wouldn't like me very much when I turned green. <laughs> uh, a little bit of a hard charge. I'm glad Bruce Banner got that figured out. I think the solution in the Avengers was that he's always angry. <laughs> you yeah. are not that, sir. Oh, well, that's funny. But the um, it was this major company, and I won't say their name, Speedrail, and um, they were upset because I said speed rail is the greatest tool since sliced bread. Love it. It's like a giant erector set for grips. I highly recommend it. It's the best of the best. So I'm at one of the typical fairs, um, one of our showbiz fairs, and learning about more equipment that's out there, which I highly recommend if you can go to those. The, Cinegear. Uh, Cinegear, any sort of business that teaches uh, the wares of our business, you're going to learn. Uh, I have you went to those deals and literally went on the next job and used stuff that I learned from the, those shows. And then they go, man, you know so much. Of course I do. I went to the show biz. I found out what the latest deal. Right. But getting back to what it was, um, once I found out Hollander Manufacturing was so pissed off at me, uh, I call the company. I get a hold of the president, the, Mr. Hollander himself. And so I'm going off on him. I said, it was great. What the heck are you talking about? I love your stuff. He goes, calm down, Mike, calm down. It wasn't you. It was our legal department. You had forgot to put the little circle with the C, and that's what it was. Oh, wow. So it, we weren't suing you for anything, but they, the letters had went out when to my publisher yeah. and cease and desist until you get the, you got, fine, send me a letter. I'll sign it off right now. Okay. <laughs> nice guy. <laughs> well, at least you got that sorted out. Didn't yeah. Get into yeah. some ugly, tattered mess. Yeah. I couldn't understand why. And I had found out from these two guys. Saying, oh, yeah. You're the guy we're suing. What do you mean you were suing? I love your stuff. Oh, well, you, you didn't have authorization. You know, he said I didn't have. I said, yeah, I did. But I forgot to put the little circle C copyright. Copyright and speed he, rail. They were one hundred percent. It was copyright Hollander or copyright it, speed rail. Uh, whatever. It was. I think it was speed rail. Yeah. And so uh, after that, everything's got you know all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed, and it was a simple mission, but. That's you live and learn. I don't, um, um, I don't really know exactly what I would go to them asking for, but I feel like in order for me to call this a legitimate process, I have to have a sponsor. Absolutely. You know, and tell them that, say, look, yeah. this is where I'm starting out. You know, think about what you want and, uh, definitely uh, wise to do that. Yeah. <laughs> why you would want to do that. Uh, Chapman's pretty good. Um, over at, I think it's 5,400 Joker lighting. Mm -hmm. Oh is, yeah. Is, uh, I'll think of their names. It's funny. I can't. 
I haven't thought of these names in years. These are great, uh, great folks to to get involved. Uh, these you know, are the with, owners. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what about the? Do you know any? I know. Uh, do you know by any chance Mike Walsh over at Cinemills? No, I don't. Okay, I remember the guy who started Larry. I think his I've name. I've not was. met Larry, but I. Yeah, he was a guy from a thousand years ago. Um, good guy. I don't know if Dickie Hart's still around. From uh, used to be Lexus Lighting. No, I've not okay. seen Lexus Lighting. Okay, they was he's the guy who came up with the. Uh, oh, what's the one on top of uh, in Vegas that shoots? Stratosphere. Uh, the the lights that shoot out of the top of the. Oh, uh, Luxor. Is yeah, the, the lights, the xenon yeah, lights. Those are xenon came from Dickie Hart. Really, who got them from uh, police helicopters. And but he know. he recapsulized them in yeah. motion picture lighting fixtures. Yeah. And there's like seventy uh, xenon shooting out of Alexa, yeah. which I got to sh- shoot a commercial. It was I, wonderful. To I see heard it. back in film school you could see that from space. Probably it's pretty bright. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, that's the the beauty of this business you get to travel and so many times i tell people i can't believe that i am so lucky other than a good work ethic which i learned from my father and from the marines you know work hard and you'll make it um although in today's economy a lot of people don't believe that but i still believe if you work hard you'll get noticed or at least have the perception that you get that you you'll get there where you need to and you'll get a lot further than if you don't have that perception absolutely i mean and then you find yourself on these distant locations like i was in russia uh, i have a picture i'm sitting next to gorbachev and we're working on a pizza hut commercial and i'm thinking oh my god this guy a couple years back could have pushed a button and World War Three would have went on, mm. and now he pushes a button. He orders a pizza at Pizza Hut, and I'm sitting next to him getting a photograph. I said, <laughs> "Something wrong with this picture." It was wonderful, but very exciting. And then, uh, about it, when was this? This was ninety three, ninety four. Is for a Super Bowl commercial way oh, back when. Wow. I'd have to, so, I'd have to YouTube that. Yeah, so it was wonderful. Uh, we're in Red Square. And there's so many other things that went along with it, but it, it can take a common person. I was born and raised in Inglewood, California, Hawthorne, California, home of the Beach Boys. And uh, <laughs> so it's a common guy, grew up, quit high school, joined the Marines, going to be a tough guy, got my butt kicked and uh, did my eight years in the Corps, put my left leg on backwards, shortened my left leg, got a medical discharge, got out, became an aircraft mechanic. Remember I said I had lots of jobs? I tell people, <laughs> I had lots of pillows. But back up to the whole left leg thing. My left leg is shorter than my right leg by a half an inch. You ought to see me walk. I got one of the sexiest walks. <laughs> I could be a runway model. I just thought it was a normal grip walk. <laughs> I got a butt that jiggles. <laughs> got a little big butt. Oh, my God. Oh, it's horrible. No, uh, but it's, so here you are. It's it's one of those classic dreams. I want to be there. Remember, I got out of the Marine Corps, and I said, this is before I even knew my uh, sister was dating this guy. And I said, well, I think I'll go get in the film industry. One of those things in the back of your head. I'll just go over to Universal and say, hey, I want to drive one of your trams. You know, I, I was driving mm-hmm. missile loaders in the Marines for airplanes. I can tow million-dollar aircraft. How tough is it to tow yeah. a bunch of people? Thank you, kid. <laughs> get out. <laughs> I had no idea how hard it was to get in the, that's a uh, Teamster local at, oh. at uh, Universal. 
I, I would have, I love little, little tidbits like that. Like you just don't think about stuff like that. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I didn't. It, I, I, and, and I'm very aware that the, the, this is a very well uh, organized city with regards sure. to labor in the film industry. Yeah. And I just, oh, oh yeah, duh, they're, they're tram. I just, I guess I haven't looked at a, I, I, when you say that, I think of, uh, you know, like the guys that are around today in the night, you know, like it, around today and they all look skinny, not like a teamster that I'm ever used to seeing. Yeah. So I would they think all look of like the, me now. All the old teamsters. <laughs> Big old donut in her hand. Don't <laughs> don't don't give me any firepower. <laughs> I made all the jokes. I don't know. I got a whole line of T-shirts. I'll have to show you after this interview of what I made up. The different crew, film crew. There's three points of view as the crew sees themselves, uh-huh. as they see, um, at, as the film crew sees, let's say the uh, teamster, uh-huh. as the teamster sees himself. And as the producer sees the Teamster. So I got one for each oh, people. Oh, man. They were pretty good. I was selling them at Paramount for a while. And everybody was going. They were selling like hotcakes. And about the third week, a producer went in there and saw the fun that I had made of a producer. The next day, they were all gone. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Last order. <laughs> but uh, a little bit of a vicious tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> I love a good joke. I, I, I wrote up a couple of uh, crew shirts that I put uh, out on a movie called uh, Celestine Prophecy. And I made little, little crew shirts out of them. And uh, uh, one of them said, uh, hire an electrician. It'll brighten up your day. Okay. Uh, and the other one was a grip shirt that said, because um, uh, every time, you know, how the, the, old, the old saying of uh, the old adage that, uh, you know, if you want to be a good grip, follow the electricians. You know, like right. wherever they go, right. figure out what they're doing and side it over here, top it there, add whatever you got to. A little bit of truth make it to safe. that. Yeah. So I made shirts that said, uh, and I was a grip on that show, and the grip shirts, uh, uh, I gave the electric shirts there, electrics, you know, and the grip shirts said, uh, when I move, you move. Because there's a, 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 a ludicrous song that said the same thing, you know, like, and so it was a big pop icon or you know it was like a pop reference in, right. in a grip shirt yeah, black and white and timing was everything <laughs> yeah it was just like uh you know and, and the one shirt that i always wanted to make was uh based off of the uh camera assistants that were raising the uh camera on the right. stack I like of that one. Sure. i love that one it's like yeah. it's not norman rockwell it's something else but it's got that textured pastel almost look to it and i wanted to do one with grips and electricians Throwing up like a uh, like a like a like a big eye tenor uh, on a super crank, uh-huh. you know, on the same kind of sure. thing, you know, like stacks of whatever, you know, some kind of stacks of horrible terrain, and the and the grips and electricians are all like, you know, doing everything they can to push that flag right up to the, t- you know, like because that's what it's based off of the uh, Mount Saribachi, the Marines. So most people don't know it, a little reference in this one. I like um, the actual first time they raised the flag wasn't on film. And they used a water pipe that was up there that had a bullet hole shot through the end of it. And that's how they tied the flag on. Then oh. when the people saw it, they recreated it for the, the, photo. Uh, right, the photo deal. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah. Typical. That's yeah. just the way it is. That's, that's, that's uh, PR. I mean, we've, been working, we've been working in public relations for many, many, many centuries. Sure. Send your people to join the Marines and have them build targets, not men. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Marines used to say about ourselves. We had a lot of a lot of jokes. It was good. 
my my dad has the Semper Fi and the dog. Does he have the? Yeah, I, he always used to say, you know, I'll make my dog bark, roof, roof, and he flexes muscle. It was, and I was like five, you know. Like, well, yeah. It's funny. I was like one of the few Marines that never got any tattoos. And people, you sure you're an ex-Marine? Or they used to call ex-Marines. Now it's former Marine. And uh, I just never appear, uh, appealed to get a tattoo, something that was just going to be there forever. Yeah. You know, I just, nah, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, you know, I think there was a time time and place for it, you know, especially uh, uh, what, I mean, speaking for somebody with no military experience, that's me. Uh, but my dad was, uh, you know, we're looking at the late 60s when he's, you know, going into Vietnam and doing his thing. Then, And you say the mid-60s, say 65, 66, uh, there was, that was the time and place to maybe do those things and, and act out, you know, because my dad wasn't a big drinker either. So, so you know, um, you know, so I guess you got to act out somehow. So the tattoos seem to be about appropriate. It It's true. Um, I love them. I thought they looked great on the guys. And truth be known, I probably was more afraid of the needle. Supposed to be a tough Marine. <laughs> oh, pass out. I don't need no fucking tattoo. <laughs> Get out of here with that shit. <laughs> yeah. It's ironic. Yeah, I went in uh, 1967, got out in 76. And I was so fortunate that... Um, you didn't die. Uh, well, I went through all the training battalions and all that stuff. And we get to Okinawa and they pull five of us off the airplane and the rest of the guys went in country and we stayed on Okinawa. And then the guys that I just went through training through the, in the Marines, they separate the NCOs, non-commissioned officers, corporals, sergeants, staff sergeants, and they put them in different billets. And there were 16 of us NCOs went through staging, which is a month long combat training at night day and all the stuff you go through vc village and all the stuff it's like when you see in the movies right yeah. so long story short is they pulled myself and corporal swartz as corporal uva and corporal swartz uh were pulled off sounds and, like there's a script in here yeah Sorry. and so the guys went into a country and a rocket came in the second night in country killed 13 the classic number 13 of the 14 ncos uh, and then the one guy that lived, uh, they patched him up the best they could, but he was never the same. And they, of course, they sent him sure. home. But then we found out about two weeks later through the grapevine, and it was like that Twilight Zone moment. You go, oh, my God. It was just, I knew these guys, and two days after they got there, they were dead because the rockets had come into the receiving barracks. You know, they hadn't even got to their assigned positions yet. And you kind of wonder, like, why was I so destined or lucky? You know, I don't know. I don't know what it is. As you said, you don't subscribe to any of the heebie-jeebie mumbo-jumbo. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, that's just how it goes, yeah. you know. Um, I can't really put it can, into any kind of context for you. Uh, you know, like I can't put it into context other than uh, to anything, uh, not re- not in a recorded fashion that I would say is, is anything, because I'm sure somebody else would have a lot better way to put it. Yeah, those types of experiences than I can. Sure. Um, and besides, that's not what this uh, this is about. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we kind of got off track here. Well, but it's good, you know. It's, it's it's nice to know information, not need to know. I mean, if you ever write a book or something, I have one last deal, and I'll I'll walk away. My first script that I ever wrote. I'm in the Marines. I'm just um, starting my career, and I'm over at El Toro before they closed it down. 
and I get stationed and um, crew chief, which is a flying mechanic on a DC-3. And when you come back from overseas, they get you close to your point of entry so they don't have to move you. And in this case, it was El Toro in Santa Ana, and I lived mm-hmm. in L.A., so they would have discharged me and I wouldn't have went home to L.A. So I get in this outfit, and there's a enlisted master gunnery sergeant. Well, only officers or pilots in the military. Well, he was a pilot flying right seat. And he's like, he called him Top was the nickname. I said, Top, how are you flying? He goes, well, during World War II is when he got his wings. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, they had, they had more airplanes than they did pilots. So we made enlisted pilots to ferry him over. Like they had the women that were ferrying oh, gotcha. planes over. So these guys would ferry him into combat and stuff. So then they started teaching him. And then I found out later that guys like, um, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. No. Chuck Yeager was an enlisted pilot. That makes sense, yeah. Carol Shelby, Shelby Mustang, was an enlisted pilot. Uh, and then you go look back at the history of the enlisted men all the way back to like 1918 when they first started flying. And they had, uh, there was a corporal was the first guy to ever fly. Uh, a couple enlisted guys are the reason we have radios and airplanes, you know. Yeah. So it was all this kind of neat stuff. So I wrote this script about it. It was called, it's called Flying Peons because that's what you call the guy in the, uh, mechanic was just a peon. Yeah. And so that's where, that was my first script. When uh, did you start that? When did you write that? I started writing scripts about, oh gosh, maybe four or five years ago. And I got some interest in it, a little bit of heat. It was kind of neat, but not knowing what I'm doing, I'm still learning. So I'm on script number five and uh-huh. just, it, it's a learning process. And it's like, do I expect, I'd love to write, sell my first script, and, you know, make a zillion dollars and never see you again. <laughs> but <laughs> that's generally not how it goes no. as you, as we've learned from uh, shows like uh, onto the page. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, big fan. I think it was a great turn on like, uh, isn't it a great? In, you, yeah, totally. Uh, they have a great, uh, it's, it's very simple, subtle. It's just, like I said to you before, it's just something I don't really hear. It's a seedy side of the uh, underbelly of filmmaking that mm-hmm. I don't ever, you know, hear about is, uh, is, you know, uh, the pre-product, um, the development side, script writing, uh, you know, attaching it to a studio, getting, uh, attaching the, the initial pieces, you know, I know everything from production side. I <clears throat> know most of my experience is dedicated to the production side. Sure, sure. Uh, well, with a heavy, healthy amount, healthy enough amount dedicated in post. Right. But yeah, you hear stuff like that and it's like, yeah, that catches my attention. Oh, it's wonderful because there's so many, uh, um, people that the lady Pilar Alexandra, I think Alexandra, yeah, yeah, and she was the reason I ended up joining one class. She's such a straight shooter, good teacher. She seems to be. Yeah, uh, you she, should call her up. As a matter of fact, and interview. She'd love it. I have. She's she seemed real to be the type that was exactly. Yeah, you know. And uh, but what I liked is you get like five producers over a period of say. 200 podcast uh, she's get more than that but they're going to say stuff and they're going to be those cross reference points they're all going to say a very similar thing and you're going to know it's fact right this is how it really is like if a grip tells you the knuckles are on the right righty tighty lefty loosey there's got to be something to it right nothing else you want to learn that part you know (laughs) well i think that's uh, generally in uh, day one of of any grip class that you ever come across 
Um, <clears throat> sandbag on the tall leg? What's yeah. up? Because <laughs> some people say sandbag on the medium leg, and I say uh, it because it's it's offsetting the weight of the. the why did we? Where do we go into this conversation? But sure, let's do it. Okay. Uh, I okay. Some people say put the sandbag on the tall leg because it keeps the weight of the sandbag off the ground. Where's some, your tall leg in reference to generally, the weight? Uh, generally, a tall leg is always underneath the weight because yeah. that's where it's you know. Yeah, if the tall leg is underneath the weight, um, then it's perfect. You can, if the tall leg's in the back for, say, you, you had to slide it in, you had to twist the legs to get it in close, uh, that will work uh, as well. The reason I believe that they came up, and once again, I've been doing it 30 years and I can't say perfect, but the tall leg, that way you get the whole weight of the sandbag on the leg off the ground. Because if you go to the shortest leg, which is only two inches above the ground, 90% of the sandbag is laying on the ground. So grips, of course, being as they are, learn, well, why stick it on the, uh, put it on any leg, just stand it up on the leg, on the shaft. Right, the wrap, the will, wrap the shaft, yeah. And that will hold the weight down. But if you're using the proverbial for Anybody who cutter, didn't know, we just started talking about C-stands. I just wanted to throw that out there for anybody who was listening to this that didn't actually know that we just started, yeah, we just kind of started talking about C-stands. Where do we put the weight? Why are we wrapping the shaft? What's going on here? Boy, do you have some editing to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on that tall, tall, tall leg. Uh, it just, it, it, but you hear little things like that and unless you've been doing it long enough, the only way you're really going to know the right way to do it is to do it a hundred times. But if I told you about it, then I showed you what would the next practical thing for you to do? Keep doing it. That's right. Practice it. Yeah. <laughs> so first time, are you going to be perfect the first time? No, of course not. Okay. What about second or third? No, 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 no. Okay. No. After a few times, you're going to get relatively good at it, right? Yeah. So all you need to, you know, it's basically a show and tell. It's anything in this industry. Show me how to do it. You know, the one thing that you'll find about this industry that I love is the creativeness. Now, I'm a mechanic, licensed aircraft mechanic, uh, licensed contractor. So I got a basic idea of maintenance. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's uh, like I was telling you, Lewis said that, yeah, I have many jobs. I, I just can't seem to hold them. I tell people because <laughs> I, I like you taking your five year period. I love doing so many different things. I want to try stuff. Excuse me. Dogs barking yeah, go in the background. It. Rocket. I'm going to have to put you in the oven. Oh my God. He's going to put him in the oven. <laughs> Call the SPCA. <laughs> Rocky. Come here. Sorry about that. I know you were saying. Where was it? Uh, you were would, you would talking about your many jobs. I yeah, think so you can do anything, but you hang around this industry and there's some hacks. I mean, we've got hacks in any business, okay? But for the most part, you know, I, people always ask, well, um, well I'm, I'm kind of going off track here. Yeah, that's fine. The, um, the hack's going to get one or two good jobs that's going to happen, but they're not going to be there for the long run. But you start getting around people and you see the real talent this, these people have. And it, I guess it rubs off by osmosis. Oh, that heebie-jeebie stuff again. No, that's not osmosis. You're a product of your environment and your heredity. So and, if, you're learn, if you're in an environment that, it is in, that, is, that if you put yourself consistently on every independent job until you work with everybody, and this is in markets that are not L.A. or New York. This is in smaller markets where you can get to know everybody. And you can, you know, you can throw yourself into, or it's not just LA or New York. It's, it's any market where you can go, where there's enough work that you can, can do it 
even if you don't get paid for it, but you can do it professionally. Like, there's uh, here's an adage: uh, an amateur does it until he gets it right; a professional does it until he can't get it wrong. And so, if you're Good. consistently doing it, want to say that again? Slow it down for the listeners. An amateur, I love it. An amateur does it until he gets it right; a professional does it until he can't get it wrong. Excellent. I I concur with that one. Yeah, that's uh, it's just one of those things where if you consistently put yourself in in the environment where you're constantly learning and it's what you love to do and you're really into it, you're gonna be really good at it. And you're you can escape the title of being labeled a hack or anything else. the The trick to it is making sure that people still like you after you know. Uh, oh yeah, I've worked with a few directors. That I really prefer not to work with. Not that I have that luxury, luxury of being able to turn them down. I, you know, but uh, fortunately, I've been able to say no. I had to stay home that day and wash my uh, hair, or whatever. Uh, uh, the wife. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, that's one. A little side note for all you listeners: when somebody calls and you don't want to work for somebody, don't say the reason that you don't want to work for them. Just say. You're not available. You're booked on something else and let it go at that. Because once somebody turns down a job for uh, which could be a reason the person really needs somebody and you're that person they want. And you say, no, I'm doing this. I'm going shopping with my wife. This person's in dire straits. It can kill you for the next job. So that's a little side note to help. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, professionalism and how to turn down the job is a skill or how to get, how to get the job, how to keep having jobs. Uh, that's, that's just as important as doing the job itself. Absolutely. A lot of guys, they'll, uh, they'll go on unemployment and they'll be like on a Thursday or a Friday and they'll get the call for the one day job and they go, no, I don't want to blow my unemployment. And they say that. And they say that. Well, just kiss of death because let me tell you, there's a big black marker kind of goes through your name and nobody wants to use you again after that. They understand the fact that you would rather get your $450 versus your $300 for eight hours of pay. But the contact that you would have made for that and sacrificing that money for uh, future to help the guys out or help the, the girls out, whoever. Um, if you don't really want to do that, just say thanks, but I, I'm not available or something like that. As things have gotten tougher in this market, I will say that uh, people are continuously looking for other people that they can count on uh, that are in this business, not necessarily for the money. As we all understand that we, there are, you have to be able to make a living. Sure. Um, but I feel that there is a continuous need for people who are in it for the right reasons. Like, I need you to be behind me kind of attitude. Uh, so if you're not going to come out when I call you for a $350 a day job, which is, a, you know, it's a decent rate. And it's somewhere in the middle on the sliding scale of, of free jobs and $100 a day jobs or minimum wage jobs or, you know, like, you know, independent <clears throat> Because there's always some production here that it's willing to work you for free. Right. Um, anyway, but it, however you want to just say that $350 a day, and I just kind of pulled that number out of the yeah. air. Okay. That's a good middle of the road number. But if you don't want to, if you're not willing to come out and work for that because you want to collect unemployment when I'm calling, you know, and I, the reason why I continue to call you is because you're a talented worker. But if you're not in it for the job, you know, then I'm less likely to call you next time. Yeah. I would used to tell people when I was key, and now I'm more of a dolly grip. But you know, when I keyed for 20 years and I would hire people on their attitude more than their ability. Because if I had guys with, and girls with good attitudes, I could move on anything. But if I, 
you nobody likes to work with the know-it-all. I'm so great. I'm good at this. I'm good at everything. Because then people will lie and wait for you. But if somebody come up and say, hey, look, I want to learn. Just show me how to do it and I'll be there. And that's why 30 years later, I still have the same best boy. Who's a key grip? Nice. Who's that? Jose Santiago. All right. Matter of fact, if you go to the Hollywood Walk of Fame and you go up there and it says the road to Hollywood up there in front of the former Kodak Theater. Yeah. They show it says producer said this or director said yeah, that. Yeah, I love that stuff. Well, if you get up there and it says key grip. That's a, by the way, that's the Hollywood Highland Center. It's right next Highland, to the Hollywood Center. Center. Yeah, yeah. Highland in uh, Hollywood. In uh, Hollywood Boulevard, yeah, yeah. right? Oh, it's great. I, I, okay, go on. So, so Jose well, Santiago said this? It, when it says key grip, that's about Jose Santiago. And, and what did he say? What was the quote? It says, I came here from the Virgin Islands. I cleaned toilets, swept floors, and I co-founded a grip truck company. That company that he founded was Yuva's Grip Truck and Lighting Service. Awesome. Most people don't know that. But if you look in the grip book, it shows that. And that got, um, uh, I'm very proud of that. And I'm you very should proud be. Like, cause it's, it's, it's a iconicized somewhere. And it, it's written in stone now. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like, it's almost like having your own star on the Walk of Fame. But to me, uh, that the joke is, hey mom, look, I made it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so, with that. And it's the, uh, the irony is, you know, I wrote that about my best friend, Jose, uh, a lady, an artist named Erica Rosen, I think Rosenberg or Rosenthal, one of find it out. I'm sorry about that. Uh, she found it uh, in the book and there were famous quotes from famous people. And my book was the only one on gripping apparently at the time and they needed a quote. So they used that and they paraphrased it, of course. And when I, uh, I'd found out years later that somebody said, Hey, I read your grip book and it's on the walk of fame up there. And I went, what are you talking about? You're crazy. And then I saw it. And here I am out there with a little, I was up there one day, I I looked down, I saw it, and I got a little paper throwaway camera, and I'm taking like 12 pictures of this sidewalk, and this guy walks out of the shop, it was a uh, Brookstone at the time, and he's looking at me, and I I wanted to, I wrote this, really, this is about me? Of course you can't say anything. Yeah, he's like, whatever, old man. Your little $12 (laughs) camera, and you wrote this, yeah. So, you know, the irony on itself. But it was so wonderful that somebody I knew got to, uh, um, that I got to write something about somebody and they actually put it in cement there for a while. Well, it's, it, you're right. It is kind of uh, immortalized in its own right. Yeah. So when we're done with this deal, I'll pull out the book and I'll show that. Let's, let's look at, let's look yeah. at some stuff. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right, then I, uh, did you do, I saw that you did, uh, the big easy. Yeah. Does that mean you went down to new Orleans? Yeah. Yeah. So do you know all those guys down there that are still around today? I knew them. Matter of fact, one of the key grips that's out here is now a dollar grip. Can I offer you something to drink, by the way? I know. I got my water. Oh, you got your water. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was He was just starting out. He was a young grip at the time, Keith Talley. I don't know if you know Keith. Keith Talley, I do. Uh, Very oh, good yeah, grip. Yeah, Keith, yeah, of course, Keith. Keith's, yeah. Keith's over on Bones, yeah. too. Yeah, of, of course. So he uh, was one of my grips that we hired as a local. Uh-huh. And... Um, just green is, uh, I'll get out. Green is the swamps down there, actually. Uh-huh. And uh, it's funny. You know that the classic saying, watch you on the way up, on the way down, be nice to everybody? I don't know how that how, how the actual saying goes, but okay. uh, basically treat everybody well. Not because they may be somebody, because they're people. But um, because of movies like The Big Easy, and I use Keith, and then uh, I went down and did another movie, the locals want to, this honest to God truth, 
they were scouting a film uh, called Sister, Sister at the time. Yeah. And so they go around and they said, they went to this location. They go, uh, we're down here scouting. And they go, yeah, well, who's your key grip? Mike Yuva? And they go, no, we don't have a key grip yet. We're just tech scouting, you know, for this deal. So then they go to another location. And they go, yeah, we're scouting this known location, the film. They go, oh, yeah, we had a film crew down here. Who's your key grip? Mike Yuva? So they went to like, I swear to God, they call me up and they go, who are you? <laughs> you know, you've got a shrine going on down here. And it's because of the locals that you treat it like people. You didn't come out from Hollywood and say, oh, I'm a big time Hollywood key grip or any of that stuff. You treat them just like regular people, which we all are. And because of the locals, I got the job. That's a way to be. It's, it's way different now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I wish that uh, some of the now there are some great relationships that I have with uh, with key grips and gaffers in in New Orleans and electricians uh, grips uh, all, all sorts of technical personnel uh, and old friends uh, old camera just the list goes on and on um, but there there are a couple of relationships that I that did not go so well and unfortunately they were with like my original gaffer and original key grip and those things happen and uh, um. I, when I left, <clears throat> I was living with my gaffer at the time, and uh, uh, with with uh, he was one of my gaffers. He was I knew I knew him from Orlando. The New Orleans boom happened, so a bunch of us from Orlando and Florida came over, and were pretty well welcomed by guys like Gilly Charbonnet um, and uh, a lot of like the local guys there because there was so much work. They wanted guys that were talented and driven and would could make go to them. work today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Who were there? Who were there, available, ready, yeah. and qualified, and willing to just you know put forth and and so a bunch of us did, and it was great. But uh, between the hurricane and uh, oh, I'll just si- simply put, you know, the overall level of drugs and drinking that happens down there, you know, uh, some guys can't handle that with all the stress that goes along with being a gaffer or a key grip right. or a, or any position. Hell, I know I had a, a tough time just just managing like because i was 20 to I, was, I lived there from 23 to 26 so uh or tw- yeah 23 to 25 a bit actually. of a party town for it, you it was a great party town i had a wonderful time um but i was always good and responsible to those people uh one of one of them one of them was you know a loan situation where i gave him thousands of dollars to to, to get him through. And when it came time to pay back, he just wouldn't. And then just wouldn't take my calls, wouldn't return. And that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, it's a whole nother <laughs> podcast is right. I just wish that I do wish, I do wish that I could just look back on new Orleans for all of that it was and not have to think about a couple of guys who's kind of soured my experience on the way out for me to like, just have a nice clean break from being grip electric to going to being a camera assistant. Well, getting back to that heebie jeebie stuff, um, it really is true that there, I don't know if people believe in karma out there or not. Uh, I have my own beliefs, but I know what goes around comes around. And if your life's a good life and I'm talking from a geezer point of view now, I'm, you know, I'm pretty close to wheelchair bound. Oh, you know, man. that's why I started pushing Dolly so I could still stand upright. Oh, <laughs> Bad no, jokes. No, here we go. No, no, no. Let's not go they there. They just get worse. Um, but the um no actually in in the 32 years of doing this stuff i gotta say 31.9 percent of it's been wonderful you know and my bad times taught me uh to appreciate the good time yeah. you know i do have a shirt that says 41 percent uh yay 
59 percent <laughs> with two little like the alien things yeah. one going like this and the other, yeah because it's true man it's uh, it, anything worthwhile is going to take a lot of effort and you're going to yeah. have to push really hard to get there yeah um, <clears throat> but you know uh, what the process of getting there isn't always that sweet and doing what you, I, you know you know what I have been saying I, I keep telling my mom like mom and she laughs uh, but I was like mom you know I'd have a lot more money if I had a lot less passion. <laughs> you know, you get to do what you love and I, you know, I don't have all the money in love. You know, I don't have, uh, I would have more money if I wanted to just be a grip or an electrician or a gaffer. Or if I were to just follow that through and stayed in New Orleans, I would have probably been just fine financially. Would you have enjoyed the ride? Not like I have now, no. Okay. I don't regret it. There's no regrets over here. You can't. I mean, the, the deal is... If I looked at all the woulda, coulda, shouldas, and like I say, when I when I was saying uh, licensed aircraft mechanic, licensed uh, contractor, what how smart I am. God, I was lucky, right place, around right time. But I wanted to try it, and I got to do it. Trust me, you don't want me to build your house. I'm the, probably the crappiest contractor on the planet. <laughs> but you're a really good dolly grip and a hell of a lot of fun to work with. Uh, thanks. That's good. One thing, because I, I know that eventually we've got to go. Like, I, obviously, we can sit here and chat for some time. Um, but I definitely wanted to ask you, this is something we were talking about when we were first getting going was, well, you've gotten this book and you go and you talk to these people, but sometimes the expectations of what they expect from somebody who wrote the book, uh, they expect, they expect something like, as you say to the students, but also to other people that you, uh, work with, meet your other colleagues, you know, not what you expected. Yeah. The, one of the things about the grip book has been wonderful, apparently, has helped a lot of people out. And I, I get uh, guys come up and girls come up and say they love the book. It really helped. Now, the feeling you can't describe, you, it's a, it really makes you feel good inside of you. I mean, almost the point of tears, you know, but at the, at the same time, there's a degree of expectation that comes with it. And a lot of people think there's always that 10% that, Oh, he thinks he's the uh, fastest gun in town, you know, and they kind of come, kind of come gunning for you in a sense. Who like other you, other key grips, other grip. And what I've learned to do over the years, and it took a while because when I and I'm going to use an analogy. When I first started selling books door to door out of the uh, trunk of my car, I guaranteed hundred percent money back, no questions asked. And out of the 8,000 books, one person wrote, so this book isn't worth the paper it's printed on. And I was so enraged. And I wrote, very sorry you didn't learn anything. Here's your $19.95 back. It was the hardest thing for me to write, but I gave my word. And it was easier. And you find out later by throwing uh, lumps of coal on people, doesn't burn them as much as you, if you just, if you're sweet to them, they go, you know, so I've, I've learned when I make mistakes and people, oh, you idiot, how can you, you're right, I'm very sorry, and let it go. And people try to say something. If I go along with you, you can't heckle me any further. Right. And it, it works for me whether or not it will work for other people. That's, you know, a whole other story. The environment that you're in, you know, and how you're dealing with it, what the situation is, because it diffuses some, it. Sometimes, though, uh, sometimes going along with them doesn't make your situation any better in the long run. Oh, absolutely. Um, you have the every day that you go to work, you're, you're working for that day and it may be your last day. But as long as you feel good about doing <laughs> what you do, 
Um, and that's, you know, I, I, at least wise for me, I, I try to feel good that, you know, I gave it my effort. Um, I, I'm kind of getting distracted here a little bit, but even at this age and well, I still, I, I sell myself at 90%, I deliver 110. And I guess that's why I'm still working at this age versus a lot of kids who sell themselves at a hundred and deliver 85, 90%, mm, mm-hmm. you know, uh, basically you don't have to talk about how good you are, show how good you are, right. Do your job, do it well. And I, that does, that goes with any job, of course. But, um, if this business, there's so many opportunities, Yeah. Sorry. No, no, uh, you're, you're, you're heading, you're heading down the right path, uh, and, and making sure that you do that without a lot of ego and a lot of fuss, because at the end of the day, you know, people do have to like you. Uh, mm-hmm. that's one thing I can say that I'm sure that you'll probably go along with here that so much of it is about when you're on a crew, when you're continuously working, it's because of your ability, not just of your technical skill, but your ability to be a part of the crew. Yeah, to, to get along with the question, what's the, what is this podcast? What's the what did you want to get out of this podcast? What are you looking to get out of it? I wanted to have interesting conversations with people based off of the interesting conversations that I heard on other other people's podcasts. Okay, so it's like oh, this is great, but I know all these people that have a lot of really interesting stuff to talk about. Um, my <clears throat> the best. The best little tidbit that I think one of the nuggets of gold that I got uh, was in the first podcast. Um, I had done it with uh, Gene Warren from Fantasy Fantasy Two Studios, uh, which is this uh, dive tank and special effects house uh, way up in the North Valley. Um, I've been going over there for a bunch of years doing free work and helping them out, and they've helped me out by allowing me access to their dive tank. But Gene sure. Warren himself is... Uh, been around a long time. His dad was a special effects guy and did Land of the Lost and did all sorts of stuff from like way back when. And and now he, he's got a, an Oscar for Terminator 2 and, you know, like lots of really cool stuff. And the nugget that I got from him that was great, that was just irreplaceable, was about how he would have to change out Walt Disney's... Uh, he worked for Disney Studios as a, as a number two uh, grip, um, you know. And uh, one of his first responsibilities was to take uh go into walt disney's personal screening room and remove his silver screen his real deal silver screen thirty thousand dollar in those days silver screen in his person in his personal screening room take it to the grip warehouse wash it down wash it down again get a distilled water a truck a water truck with distilled water in it to rinse it off and then take it back into walt disney's personal screening room reattach it and make sure everything was okay without messing it up do you know why he had to do that? Smoke. Because Walt Disney was a consistent smoker. Yeah. And so I just don't think about that. And so that's, I guess, the kind of thing that I wanted to get out of this podcast was like, hey, I just know lots of people with lots of cool stuff to talk about. So, and there, maybe maybe there's a lot in me that I want to talk about. Well, that's good. I, I want to make sure that you got out of it what um, what you came to get out. And hopefully the audience gets out of it what Out of you this want. podcast? Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Okay. Oh no, no, Mike, you're good. Okay. We're 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 good. I'm very satisfied. Uh, I think it's been I think it's been great just to sit down and talk to you. I didn't. I like I brought some notes with some of your IMDb credits and all sorts of other stuff, but I don't even think I need to. Like all the questions, mostly just came pretty natural, um, and just the conversation, uh, the conversations that kind of where this has gone and how it can kind of go off on these little tangents. And yeah, that's what it kind it of flows be. out there. Yeah. yeah. 
on. Yeah, let you let people know that we're just people doing really lucky. Here's a little tidbit that you'll uh, might enjoy: uh-huh. is I can't type. So I, how do you get your how do you get your scripts uh, how do you get your scripts written and how do you uh, how do you get your books written? If I ever lose my index fingers, I'm pretty well screwed. Oh no. <laughs> Very, very slowly is the answer. <laughs> Everything I write is longhand. I can't type. I have no command of the English language. I have no concept of um, any um, of proper English. I really don't. And I, if you read, read my very first book, one of the biggest things that they said, and I, I had to actually look up the word, they said, no syntax. <laughs> what? No, no, there's no syntax in this book. Define uh, syntax. Yeah, it was so funny. And it's true to this day. Before you got here today, I'm talking with one of my editors who was a former editor over at uh, Focal Press. And she's doing my rewrites for me on my script. So I've hired people over the year that are, that they basically, they make me sound intelligent. (laughs) (laughs) If you read uh, my first book, Anybody that's ever read my very first book, the little silver 100-page book, said that book is written like I talk. Uh-huh. It's exactly the same thing. I got that from my 12th grade English teacher when I used to type. <laughs> and it's okay. I'm okay with it. When I'm not Hemingway. I wasn't trying to be eloquent. Um, I'm that kind of kid that would sit in the class and the teacher would say one and one is two. And I would turn to the kid next to me and say, do you know that one and one is two? Not to show you how smart that I was, it was just the nature of me. I just wanted to share. Yeah. And so writing the book was the perfect outlet for a guy like me. Hey, way to be, man. Yeah, it's not, I, I, I don't have this heart of gold or any of that crap. Uh, it's just, but, uh, but I mean, but still, like, that's just who you are. And it, and it comes through. That's why we're sitting down doing a podcast right now. Yeah, yeah. good. Uh, one uh, of the things that kind of reminds me of saying that I've modified from the Marines is you can always tell a grip. Just can't tell him much. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, here was one thing you said earlier that uh, that caught some of my attention was uh, you, when you're looking for people uh, that you can that you can hire. Attitude. You want uh, people that are. I was going to say something that I remember hearing. You, uh, you want people that are manageable and trainable. Yeah, um, attitude will tell you if they're manageable and trainable. Absolutely. I mean, you we make. As humans, we make very quick decisions about people. You've been in rooms where somebody walked in and the person not said a word to you and you don't like them. Yeah. There's yeah. something about them. Oh, you yeah. Are, what it, you don't know yeah. what it is. It's just there. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I used to think that I used to not be that way as a kid, but oh, man, like just a little bit here and there. I try not to let it get carried overboard, but. And you're, you're probably 100% wrong. But it's at that time. My wife and I were just talking about a situation where um, when I was younger and I would turn into that green monster in the Marines, it was always a lot of testosterone blowing. And I got in a few fights in the Marines. And every one of those guys I fought with were basically a mirror image of me. And we beat each other senseless. I mean, <laughs> senseless. And we became very good friends. And you've heard those kind of stories before. Yeah, too. sure, of course. But it was that energy levels were so high. And it could be with that same person that you don't care for. But on the other side of the hand, you get the young person that comes in and you can just tell there's a look in their eye. There's a, 
uh, way that they move, their attitude, their uh, kind of an attitude of gratitude, happy to be there. Mm. And uh, I think I still have that attitude of gratitude, not because it's fake or anything. I'm just, I can't believe you still hired me. I couldn't believe they hired me 32 years ago. Mm. I can't believe I do what I do and I get paid to do it. So important to hold yeah. on to that right there. Yeah. Like if you lose that, what's the point of being in this business? Yeah. Do you know Chewy Papas? I know, yeah. Um, another one to me, like he's up there, like world famous, like at least nationwide famous. Like everybody who's anybody who's been around long enough knows Chewy Papas. Yeah. Chewy Papas was a grip on Easy Rider, just to give you an idea. Like, uh, And he was on Into the Wild. That's where I met him. But because of the New Orleans connection, we had a lot to talk about. Anyway, so I met somebody and instantly, instantly liked him because he reminded me of myself and everybody that I ever worked with in my departments that I ever— Like, it's hard to kind of, like, really put texture to that, but that's how I felt. I think people understand what you're saying. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, and and I and I want to get him as my gaffer, but I I don't know if I'll be able to afford him. But <laughs> you know, he's a great dude. It's it, going back to that heebie-jeebie stuff. If you really want it, it will happen. Yeah, you got to secret that. Stuff, I was, man. yeah, I was. Um, um, when I, if I if I wake up in the morning, and kick my toe, it's like, oh man, I could the rest of my day could go crap. Just I wake up and I kick my toe, oh crap, and then I think. Hey, I'm lucky I still got those toes. <laughs> and look at the good side of it. Yeah. You know, now I got to start watching. I got good eyes. I better watch. So as long as I keep that energy up, I, once again, it's that if you put out good thoughts and you put out good things, it comes around. Not to be, not that, oh, I'm going to be nice to you because you're going to give me something. I don't care about that. I would much rather pay it forward. And anytime I help anybody, I always tell them, they go, how can I repay it? All I ask from you is like this. Don't help me. I've had my time in the sun. Help the next guy. Right. And somebody did that for me years and years ago, and I've been paying it forward for the last 32 years. Same type deal. Mike Yuva, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. A pleasure. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, we hope that you'll go uh, to Facebook if you're not already a fan and look up Cinematic Community and you'll see links to our website. What's that website again, Lewis? That website is www.cinematiccommunitycast.com. If for some reason you want to skip seeing our blogs and our photos and all that nonsense, you can go directly to iTunes. Just put in Cinematic Community or the podcast app on your phone. Or uh, I also did it on my Apple TV recently. You just pop in Cinematic Community, and that's us. It's us talking. Talking a lot with people. Uh, I'd like to give it a little bit more bounce than that. Yeah, yeah you probably could. We're having a, we're having a good time. That's the marketer in you. We're, talking, we're having great conversations with great entertainment professionals, and we, we love what we do. We've been doing it a long time, and we're really happy to have a format to... To, to release this stuff on. These stories are great and we're just happy to be able to share them. We have had shockingly great guests. Yeah, our, our list, our lineup, 
Yeah, our lineup has been absolutely spectacular. Uh, starting with Haskell Wexler uh, for episode two was absolutely a, a great way. And again, in case we haven't said it enough, I know we kind of riffed in the very beginning just trying to get out Sir Haskell Wexler ASC on the podcast. But I tell you, man, it was really great to sit down with Haskell Wexler and just 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 chat about it was our first show literally our first recording together so we were nervous and we didn't know what we were doing but turned out to be a great show thank god so if you haven't actually uh gone back to listen to any of our old episodes definitely check out uh episode two with haskell wexler check out episode four and five which is our sarah jones and the future of set safety um we'll don't skip over episode three the wheels boys that was a movie that was coming out that week so we had to push it up it was one of the last episodes we recorded but one of the first we released for logistical reasons that was a fun show about how to uh you know make an independent picture there was a lot of uh pitfalls and possibilities and promise that they brought uh, that uh, the average bear doesn't know about. So make sure and go back and check out some of our older episodes. Um, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of really great guests, and we're happy to keep bringing them to you. If you could just show some love and support on our website, um, on iTunes and Facebook, just look us up, Cinematic Community, or at our website www.cinematiccommunitycast.com. There you can check out our blog, leave some comments. Uh, you can actually read along with the blog about the guests that we're just sitting down with while we're having this conversation. You can uh, listen to it on iTunes while checking out the blog uh, information overload so uh, we'd appreciate the love most importantly spread the word because we don't know how to (laughs) 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 yeah we have a great time doing this and we hope you keep listening so thanks a lot